Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go, Outkick 360. Friday edition is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The crew is all here and many more in studio with us. The Friday before the long weekend, happy July 4th weekend to everyone listening or watching across today's show. Jam-packed one. It includes Josh Pate. Late Kick Josh will be with us a bit later in the show. He was out in Los Angeles as early as uh, yesterday. He was out there for Elite 11 and was out there as everything went down with the Pac-12 and conference expansion to the Big Ten between USC and UCLA. Josh Pate joins us in our number three today. In the middle of all of it uh, is a lot of litigation, both in college and NFL uh, avenues. And Amy Dash will join us from Odyssey. She's the legal analyst there. That's in hour number two. Coming up in 20 minutes, Bobby Carpenter will join us to talk from a Big Ten perspective, the addition of USC, UCLA, and much more. Gentlemen, good afternoon. What a day, boys. What a day. What a day to be alive going into the long 4th of July weekend, but also... You walk around 6th and Peabody here, and everyone that uh, I spoke to before the show, first thing they said was, not a slow time of year for you guys with the news yesterday. Business really picking up with the USC-UCLA news from yesterday, which we know a year ago was Texas-Oklahoma. That precipitated this move now. Now what does this trigger for the SEC or other conferences? This is just another domino of many to fall, so... This is the first of a lot of news to come. So, so much speculation about who goes where now, what happens next, the ultimate look of two super conferences or three. And uh, Deshaun Watson verdict, I should have tried to bet money with you, Chad, because I I had a strong feeling it wouldn't be today, and it's not because they're taking briefs now uh, from both sides. It it seems weird to me that that there's another stage to this, but – It's going to be decided before July 26th instead of July 4th. If it's up to Sue Robinson, which it is, that she wants to receive briefs from both sides, they have three business days to present those briefs to the judge. However, it appears she's going on vacation or something, and she's had this week off because instead of three business days, she has requested that they be turned in on July 11th and not next Tuesday. Uh, which would be the deadline going into Wednesday for the, the briefings to be on her desk. So the date now is, is July 26th, presumably, when the vast majority of, of the league reports for camp or starts camp. Reports 26th, starts 27th, well, I think. And they keep- would really like to have it finished by then. I would think that's a target date, though she's not necessarily operating within their parameters. No, I know doesn't have to by any means you're right um here's the other thing to watch for and what others will now begin to put out there over the weekend and as they start to really dig into what's going to happen with all this 
if he is suspended for the season initially, he will not be allowed to be at training camp or anywhere around the facility. Because if it's a full season it's, or indefinite, then he's off the field immediately. If he is suspended for hypothetically eight weeks, that would go to appeal. He would be at training camp. He could practice all the way up until the week one, week preparations. one yeah. preparation. So he will be at training camp. He'll be on the field for the Browns. And he could actually return to the field. Let's say it's upheld that it's an eight-week situation. He could return for practice. Not practice, excuse me. He could not practice. He could return to the facility for meetings starting week five, the week of the week of week five. Halfway through, based on the collective bargaining agreement, he can't practice, he can't throw a football, he can't receive coaching, but he can show up and go to meetings, offensive and meetings behind the scenes. And work out on site. Uh, work out on site starting halfway through the suspension. So there, there is a big difference between indefinite full season type hand down and anything less than that. Anything less than that, his contract does not toll and he can return 50% of the way into it, plus be a part of training camp. What do we know about the money if the contract does toll and if he's suspended indefinitely? That, that's the question I haven't really found an answer to. I have. Uh, we, we, so he, based on the language in his contract, he is protected uh, mightily through all this. So the bonuses remain intact. The one point. Two million or whatever it is that's on the on books, the his books base. right now, his base salary would toll to next year, but the count against the cap would remain whatever it is projected to be right now. Not it's not like you just you pause it and move forward. It's it rolls back a year. The, the biggest hindrance for Deshaun Watson is he's not a free agent after twenty twenty six. It would move back to twenty twenty seven. But there's, but there's no financial penalty, really. There, it's just no, that your contract is pushed back, so it doesn't language, make as much. There is language in this where they – like so the average player – I say the average player. I think it's common knowledge amongst the media and those covering the league, and or if, if you're knee-deep in all this, if you've had a player on your favorite team that gets suspended for a season or a, a certain amount of time, it's the base salary, but the team can also go back and get part of the signing bonus. Bonus. There's language in his contract that prevents the Browns from doing that. Boy, did so they, like, they have completely every cover. Um, handcuffed themselves with this in order for Watson to sign with, with the Browns, which uh, it, it's really hard to find any financial pitfall for him other than the base salary. And then, of course, it's a weekly deal where I think it's like $56,000 per week if he's suspended for eight weeks. It's one-eighteenth of the season is how you would divide the money. So if he loses the full season, he, he's not taking any big no, financial hit. He just doesn't, maybe even he less doesn't than, become the free agent after yeah. 2026. It would, he's a year older at that point. But he's still getting the 230 guaranteed. Yeah. And there's some, I mean, there would be some cap implications, uh, implications for the Browns that could help them next year a little bit. But it's not like it's, it's a ton of money out of the Brown, or out of Watson's pocket. So the and, punishment... As we've discussed, money versus games is all games Yeah, in that situation. It's all games. And, I mean, here's a player who hasn't played in, hyper, in, in this scenario two full seasons and has made $55 million doing so in new money. Made $10 million last year because the league wouldn't suspend him. And now that they will suspend him, he's going to make 46 or whatever it was that's uh, a part of the signing bonus that's fully guaranteed right now. 
Now, he has not been paid that bonus money yet. He gets paid. The first one, I believe, is coming up July 31st in a $15 million direct deposit. He gets another one that will happen in late fall, early winter. And then the third installment happens in March of next year of the signing bonus that he signed on for this year. And, and one of the chief opinionists, I don't know if we want to get into this now, Mike, Mike Florio, waffling on this. And, and one proposal that I, I thought was, was ridiculous, and I, I thought this would come up, I thought it would come up stronger and earlier. This idea, his idea was to take last year, count it as suspension, add eight games to it, have him pay back the $10 million that he made last year while he sat out those games. And then count it like as an 18, or, or sorry, a 17 plus eight, a 25 game suspension, uh, and, and call it that. Have him pay. So a, a more financially hurtful settlement because right. he'd pay back the 10.2 he made last year, and then he'd lose, what, half of the 1.2 this year. So at least there'd be a financial knock with it. But I think, uh, you know, and we'd hash this out at another point. I thought there, early on, I thought there was potential that the league would do that. That went away quickly, the idea of time served. That clearly was not a suspension. I think that's a foolish idea at this point, that you, and I don't think it's in play. I think it's a wacky Florio, a Florio idea to go back and retroactively call that a suspension when we were all watching video of the guy uh, on the side field. Uh, so would you guys like to hear the language that the Browns put in his contract? Yes, please. Uh, I pulled this up from an article I was reading last month. Quote, a suspension by the NFL solely in connection with matters disclosed to club in writing pursuant to paragraph 42, which results in players' unavailability to clubs solely for games during the 2022 or 2023 NFL years shall not subject player to forfeiture of signing bonus. Unbelievable. I mean, they, just, they just basically laid down and said, you go write the contract. And will sign. But it was a reverse contract. The sad part for the Browns is that that's what they felt like they had to do to get the guy to go. Oh, it's absolutely what they had to do. He didn't want to go to Cleveland. This is what they did to say, well, this is what this is what it'll take to get this quarterback who's under immense scrutiny from the league and legally right now to want to play for our professional football team is to give him the world, and that's it. If not, he's wanting to go to these other places. And really, Chad, that's mostly about what it's mostly about weather and wind because the teams he was looking at yeah you're right are all worse than the cleveland browns in terms of roster atlanta way worse carolina way worse who was the other one washington this the whole thing i mean there were seattle was interested but he wouldn't even right. consider but those them. final four that cleveland or five that cleveland was first out of is a better franchise. It's hard to say because the Browns have been so bad for so long. But right now, with Stefanski coaching them and the roster that they have, it really was the best option. The thing that made it worse is that it's cold and windy. It's setting the legal stuff aside and everything else going on around Deshaun Watson, th- there are some red flags here about him as a competitor and player within this. And that's one of them. Well, his willingness not to play last year, too. is Willingness not to play an entire season. And also, you're going to cross an NFL team off your list because of weather? Geography, yeah. Uh, do you want to win or not? I yeah. mean, is this about where your condo faces the east and the sun comes in at the right direction uh-huh. and you've got a comfortable temperature when you walk around outside? 
Or do you want to win a damn Super Bowl? I mean, a lot of good quarterbacks have played in you know, I, Green, I have Bay, a hard Green time. Bay I mean, and I, Boston. This is Whatever where, his excuse was, it worked. This is where yeah. I'd probably be terrible at you know wooing uh, a football player to come play for my team if I'm in on a meeting at any point with them. Because if I know I have the stronger football team for the immediate future, i got a hard time not telling a guy if I'm in Cleveland or Buffalo or Kansas City or wherever, just go. Like, go fail with the Panthers. Leave. Get out of my office. GTFO. Yeah. We don't need you. We don't want you. If you're not the type of person, if you're going to sit here and tell me the wind is a reason you're not going to come play for my team, I sure as hell am not writing that contract up for him. That's going to give him whatever he wants to come to your team. Yeah, because look at... I hope Tyler say, Castle, our resident Browns fans, is fired up as yeah, I am about I'd say this. look at Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and their circumstances. They're doing just fine. They're making a ton of money. Exactly. They're making a ton of uh, uh, marketing money. And half the league, by the way, isn't in Miami. You know? Isn't, isn't well, in these the luxury cities. Well, half the league's playing in a dome, though. That you want. Yeah, that's true. But I again, guess. I mean, he's talking about the Texans... You know, I, I was never going to win big with the Texans. How many divisions did they win? Yeah, they, when he was they, there. Yeah, and I mean, where did he want to go again? Miami, because the, they've done so much winning. This isn't about winning. Right. This is about Deshaun Watson comfort. going where he wants comfort and, and being money. comfortable. And I, I, I mean, it, red flag, well, red flag, red. I think he's a great player, and he has produced when he's been eligible and played. Red flag, red flag, red flag. This is not going to end well for Cleveland. That said, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan and you've, you've watched that jersey on the front page of the Cleveland Plain Dealer or, you know, or, or on their website for years and years with the 17 quarterbacks you know, pinned down the back, you know, if you could set aside the legal stuff, which is hard to do, and you say, this guy's a damn good quarterback and I'm glad my team, setting aside this stuff, Finally went and did whatever it takes to get a guy who I know is going to be good. Well, keep this in mind, too. Two years ago, was it two years ago now? It was 2020, September of 2020, or was it 2019? Um, 2020, right as they're going into week one. The Texans practically gave Watson the same type of treatment to keep him happy. And then the following off seasons, whenever he demanded, he wanted out. September, right before week one of September 2020, they gave him a four-year, $160 million extension with a no-trade clause, meaning he got to approve wherever he went. So let's recount. And, what, and what? So he got the signing bonus in September, and by December, the final game where the Texans nearly beat the Titans, where the Titans had to win that game to, to win the division for the first time in how many years? Uh, Slowman hit a kick off the upright that won the game. And that was the game. That was Watson's final game as a Houston Texan. And that was four months after they gave him a four-year extension with a big signing bonus for $160 million total with a no-trade clause. They bowed down to him too. And then months later, he said, I'm out. I want to be traded. David Culley sat in here on Monday and told us he knew from the first Zoom call with the guy that he wasn't going to play. And now you've had all the legal ramifications. So we should also throw the Texans in the mix here, too. The Texans for did sure. the same thing. At the time, it's based solely on the talent of this player. And that's what the Browns just did, too, solely based on the talent. The Texans wanted to keep him, did so, and rightfully so. He's a top-five guy just based on sheer play uh, that was on a really bad team. 
and he re-signed for the money and still wasn't happy because of the organizational Yeah, let's failures. revisit what went south there. I mean, uh, it was the end of O'Brien, yes? It was O'Brien's final year. All right, O'Brien getting the GM ship certainly was the thing that fractured the franchise. He traded DeAndre Hopkins for uh, nothing. That was a disaster. So was it just the general direction of the team that had Watson so upset that in a matter of months he went from signing a long-term contract to wanting out? There, I, I, there I'm, were, I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, there were just rumblings of the final week that he was not happy with the direction of the front office. And Understandably you know, keep in so. mind, they, they had just traded DeAndre Hopkins for scraps at the table in return. Bad running back. And His best receiver is gone. Return. Yeah, they, they get David Johnson in return, but David Johnson nothing. hasn't done anything. Um, so, and then they end up that season firing Bill O'Brien. Romeo Cornell was the interim head coach going into week 17 on a four win team with a top five quarterback. And he had just signed an extension, and his top wide receiver's gone, and the organization, the direction that he wanted, wasn't there. Typically. It, it was, it's, it's a bar, bizarre setting considering the extensions that we see at quarterback and how you generally don't see it in months later. Typically, that guy would be able to assert some power in the direction of the franchise from there. And that's where the Easterby and the overbearing Casario and all yeah. that stuff come. And, and it's an it's a inept franchise at that point. I think if it had been a more normal franchise and included him, not you know you don't let him hire the coach, but you include him in conversations about the direction of the franchise and all of that stuff. You know, you try to repair things quickly after he's frustrated at the end of the season, and he's a more reasonable guy that settles down better. You know, yes, you're frustrated at the end of the season. You go away for a couple of weeks to Cabo, and you come back, and you're like. All right, let's piece this thing back together, which is what most leader quarterbacks do. It fractured on both ends on, to an unreasonable degree. You're right. That's the beginning of him getting all this hand. Yes. Too and much he's, hand. He's had it since. He's he had hasn't the most played a game. of anybody. And he has not played a game since then. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter join us. A lot to discuss with B-Carp on what is happening with the Big Ten expansion, USC, UCLA, what it means for the Pac-12, what the Big 12 now does moving forward, and how about the ACC, SEC? We discuss it all with Bobby Carpenter next on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 rolls on with one of our favorite guests each and every week, Bobby Carpenter. You can follow him on Twitter at BCarp3. Catch him on SiriusXM as well as uh, up in Columbus. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Uh, talking some radio and uh, sports radio, that is, and plenty to talk about right now as uh, he joins us from his parents' home in a backdrop that I believe has a senior photo of one Bobby Carpenter over his left shoulder. <laughs> Bobby, good to see you, man. Oh, it's great to see you guys. I was trying to find a good angle that gets light, have everything set up the right way. And I was trying to get one behind me. My dad's got all his trophies and game balls. And uh, he's got all his trophies and game balls all over the place. So, you know, unfortunately, um, I couldn't get that arranged. So the best I guess you're going to get is a senior picture of maybe me or one of my brothers back there. Your thought, but this time last year, Whenever Texas and Oklahoma was beginning to be all of the discussion right before SEC media days, um, there was talk about USC and the Big Ten then. But when you saw the news yesterday break, what did you think about USC, UCLA, and the Big Ten partnership now that it is official in 2024? Well, you know, I think there's no loyalty among thieves. You know, when you talk about you know, the alliance and people working on things together, um, I don't know how any of these ADs could potentially trust each other at all, uh, working towards something, you know, trying to put a playoff together or talking about anything, given the fact that like all of them are Game of Thrones style, slowly moving pieces. And even some of the schools, like and it's not always just the commissioners, but, you know, the ADs and they're figuring out what's best for them. Um, you know, so I know we talked about this. I don't think the Big Ten was real aggressive. They said that, you know, the UCLA and USC approached them, which you know, I believe, I don't think Kevin Warren, you know, was taking the lead and trying to get anything done. Heck, he was in London. I don't think it's by accident that the first people you heard talk about this of any official nature were uh, Gene Smith, the AD at Ohio State, and Christina Johnson, the president of Ohio State. They're the ones who are probably the ones who I'll put it together. Um, you know, U, uh, USC's AD was at Cincinnati. UCLA's AD, Martin Jarman, he, he was at Ohio State with Gene Smith. So I feel like just kind of connecting the dots and reading the tea leaves that you know Ohio State was pretty instrumental in kind of driving this uh, decision home and helping to get it done. But you know when I think about this and everything that happened, I, I never would have imagined a year ago, twenty years ago, that you, know, you would have schools from the Pac-12, like charter members, iconic brands like UCLA and uh, USC ultimately join the big 10 like that would have seemed like such a foreign concept but in this age now where regionality doesn't seem to matter anymore with regards to college athletics i guess it you know it kind of makes sense well and bobby i believe this is headed to a 20 or 24 team two-party system and the two parties will be big 10 and sec and those are going to be the two power conferences that run college football with probably when all said and done, 24 teams apiece, more than likely, or at least 20. So if we go with that premise of this is not over and, and expansion will continue, who should be the most aggressive right now? 
Is it a remaining Pac-12 or Big 12 or a current ACC team going after the Big 10 or the SEC and trying to jump on board? Is it the SEC and Greg Sankey in response to this move that needs to get aggressive with who they add next? Who do you think should be aggressive right now for their own either domination or survival? Well, I know this. Greg Sankey doesn't you know, take anything lying down. So you know, he's been analyzing all these moves. He's seeing exactly what's happening and, and what potentially is going to – what their next move could be. Um, if you're a school in the Pac-12, I guarantee you right now, especially with the rumors, and I do believe that it will happen, that Washington and Oregon will be joining. And if that's the case, like the Pac-12 is going to be a shell of itself. So if I'm Arizona, if I'm Arizona State, if I'm Colorado, I'm – you know, you, if I'm Utah, I'm calling the, the Big 12. You throw those schools in the Big 12, that's not a bad conference. It's a, it's a pretty good situation. So I think that they need to be ultra-aggressive. They can't afford to sit there and sit on their hands. Like I said, Oregon and Washington, I've been told from people out there that th- that announcement will be coming you know, early next week, that they'll p- be petitioning to join the Big 10 as well. And then it comes down to that's 18 teams. Like I think the Big 10 at that point will probably begin to have serious conversations potentially with Notre Dame and who do they pair with them? Do they, you know, ultimately try to pull a Stanford in? Um, that's where the Ohio state's president, Christina Johnson, you know, is from. It's where she's an alumnus. Do they go after like a North Carolina and you start poaching from the ACC? Cause that's one thing commissioner Phillips down there with the ACC, like it seems all well and good. You know, they've got, you know, all their teams and they just re reconfigured their scheduling, but make no mistake about it. I think that he's understanding like, their television deal is very prohibitive to get out of, but it's also not near as good as what the Big Ten or SEC are going to have. Both of the conferences, it's going to be in excess of $100 million now. So I think Greg Sankey's probably analyzing, like, who could I add that would make sense that will boost the value? Because we're not interested in cutting up the pie anymore. We want to bring in someone that can not only stand alone, but can also enhance value via market and via competition. And Because you know, Clemson seems like the logical school, but you're already in there with South Carolina. They're, they're a great program, but I don't think any of the SEC members are interested in losing you know, part of their market share, losing part of their TV share if the pie doesn't grow more than enough to help overcome that. So I don't know if there's anybody the SEC could really add. Maybe in North Carolina, you get the Charlotte market. Maybe that kind of pulls that in you know, a little bit more and, and entrenches a little bit that way. That's kind of you know, the gem as I see it. Because I don't really feel like, gentlemen, outside of Notre Dame, that there's another program out there that you can look at and say, hey, by bringing them in, that will elevate the value of our conference so much that everybody will begin to get more money. Let's go more with Notre Dame. It seems like the time is never going to be more right for them to make the, the jump and become a member of a conference than now and that their value as you're saying is never going to be higher do you think it happens now and that they'll finally kind of surrender the independence um i think that it's going to happen you know i've talked to a lot of guys Notre Dame guys and brady quinn is you know columbus native played against them in high school you know i I know him really well he's you know best friends with his brother-in-law like we've had conversations about this and his thing to me was he was adamant that Notre Dame would never join the big 10 because he was, they're not a regional player. They're a national player. And if you look at who they play two of their big rivals, Stanford and USC, well, one of them is going to be in the big 10. There's a good chance. Maybe Stanford is as well. And as they look around, 
as you guys alluded to, you're talking about probably two conferences that are, that are going to be 18 to 20 of the most powerful schools. You have the ACC that has a handful over there, but their TV deal pales in comparison. They don't have near the interest of football. So when you're sitting down now to make the rules of what the playoff look, looks like and really the rules of what college football looks like at an elite Division One level, it's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC that are making most of those rules. And so Notre Dame, like Jack Schwarbeck, you know, he's powerful. But as all of these other schools begin to you know, condense into these massive conferences, Notre Dame's influence will wane. And so I think they realize, you know what, it's a coast-to-coast conference. It gives us the ability to go out and recruit nationally still. This is probably the time where you'll see within the next year or maybe a handful of years, but it'll be starting, the t- conversation will begin where Notre Dame will probably finally be in the conference by the time we have college football playoff expansion. Bobby Carpenter, our guest on Outkick 360. Bobby, who is the luckiest in all of this? Is it Rutgers or Maryland for jumping in the boat in 2014 and having the eternal life raft of being in the Big Ten where they would be wanted by none of these conferences right now if this was happening today? Or is it Vanderbilt, who's a charter member of the SEC, that also would be like Wake Forest, that no one's trying to go out and get and bring into their conference right now? Who's the luckiest of those three? My goodness. Um, I would probably say Rutgers and Maryland, simply due to the fact, gentlemen, that their athletic departments were in financial disarray before they joined the Big Ten. And one of them, I can't remember who it is, actually upon joining – had to borrow against the future value of their television contract to actually pay off some debts. Like, I mean, this is like almost like a gambling addict. Like you gotta, you're, you're, you're selling your future paychecks here to help finish up some facilities, handle some of your debt. So probably them, but you know, Wake has been intermittently good at football, just like Northwestern has. Vanderbilt's never really probably you know, had that type of success. Nine wins under James Franklin has kind of been their ceiling. But you, know, you look at a lot of those schools that are near the bottom, of these you know mega conferences now that have really just been fortunate that you know 80 to 100 years ago they were in the right place at the right time and you know had the right ads and presidents who all you know had smoking clubs together and all liked each other and they formed a conference and they've just kind of been tagging along this whole time you know you throw illinois and potentially you know northwestern in there in the big 10 and because of that now they get 100 million dollar paychecks every year so they're very fortunate but I don't know if there's as fortunate as Maryland and Rutgers who had really no other option. And by simply the virtue of the markets they were in, were able to join a conference that was going to stroke them huge checks. Bobby Carpenter with us on Outkick 360. Bobby, we look at the Big 12. They have a new commissioner that started this week. You have the Pac-12. The commissioner there has been on the job for a year. Jim Phillips, commissioner of the ACC. I, I want to look at this from the ACC perspective for a moment because – the official response, a part of the, uh, the official response from the Pac-12 yesterday was that they were, quote, surprised and disappointed, end quote. If you were surprised and disappointed right now after seeing Texas and Oklahoma a year ago, you're not just losing the race. You're not on the lead lap. Like You're, you're a non-factor to me as I view the landscape of college football and college athletics moving forward. However, there's the Big Ten, there's the SEC, And here's the ACC. If you're Jim Phillips, what are you doing to ensure that you're not surprised and disappointed like these other conferences have been over the last 12 months? Well, 
I think part of it, when you look at this, you know, George Klyakov, I think has done a really good job. I mean, he was handled a flaming pile of a flaming bag of dog turds. Yes. Uh, based on what Larry Scott gave Larry Scott. Here's the thing, Joe, I'm like Texas and OU aren't in the sec yet because of their television deal. Cause it was so prohibitive to get out of USC and UCLA. They're going to be able to walk beforehand without paying a dime zero. I mean, Larry Scott set them up for failure. And so I think Radkoff has done a good job. If I'm Jim Phillips, what I'm doing is I'm calling everybody that I knew. He was the former AD at Northwestern. I'm calling anyone I know in the big 10 and big listen. Is there anybody you're going after? Like someone give me some under, give some backdoor information here. Cause when I have my meeting and we have all the presidents and ADs and they're sitting there looking at me in the face and I feel like I'm playing a game of poker, but I can't tell if they're actually bluffing or not when they say we're all in. Cause two days later, they're going to be entering a resignation letter. Like I got to know who the targets are. And so I think that connection probably helps him. But I mean, gentlemen, think about it. Like Jim, Jim Phillips will do everything he can. I'm going to pull everybody together. Hey, this is our TV deal. Maybe we'll try to renegotiate it. And at least it's very punitive to get out of. So that's one of the reasons why you look at Clemson, North Carolina, some of these attractive schools, maybe a Florida State, why they're not leaving. Yeah, they could get paid more elsewhere, but it's a very, very steep penalty for exit. So they do. He does have that on his side. I don't know if there's any acquisitions that are out there to be made to help him. Like, who would he bring in? A West Virginia? Maybe a Cincinnati? Like, you know, could you go after a Baylor? Like, I don't know if any of those are really moving the needle the way that they need. So I think the best thing he can do is stand pat and hope that he doesn't lose North Carolina, that he doesn't lose a Clemson, potentially a Florida State. Like, some of these big-time members, especially the charter members, because you start losing them, and all of a sudden, you'll see an ACC, I believe, that's starting to look a lot like the Pac-12. Bear with me and tell me if I'm crazy to think this could be a factor in recruiting going forward. I'm a kid going to USC or UCLA. I think of it as the sunshiny conference. Yeah, I'm going to play in some rain in the Pacific Northwest, but I'm playing Arizona, Arizona State, uh, UCLA or USC. And now I'm going to Minnesota and I'm going to Northwestern and I'm going to Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska. That's not what I really was thinking uh, about. And I I could be going to Florida and Georgia and Alabama. It's a a better weather situation. I I, I think weather can be overrated as a thing, but we know some of these Midwestern schools have been hit by that. Nebraska is not attractive like it used to be for some of these reasons. Um, Am I crazy that that could shift the landscape a little bit for some kids against uh, UCLA and USC? Well, you know, it's interesting because Lincoln Riley, like he had a bunch of the the, the, uh, Southern California kids committed to Oklahoma, and then they all kind of followed him there. I know a lot of schools have done really well in the Pac-12 recruiting uh, region from outside, you know, Big Ten, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. Like they've done a good job going in there and getting players. And so I th- there might be some players that it would impact, but I noted this this morning in Gene Smith in his press conference. He's like, you're playing in Los Angeles, you're playing in Chicago, you're playing in the New York, New Jersey market. So if you're somebody that views yourself as a national prospect to be able to get as much exposure now to brand build and do all of those things, you will put yourself now, I guess, in the biggest markets. Is the weather ideal in the Midwest? In October, November, nah, it can suck, guys. I'm going to be real. Like it, it, it's gray, it's it rainy, it's not ideal. But 
you know, you have, I guess, something else to sell with, you know, the national landscape of all that out there to be able to play in these massive markets and hopefully be playing in some of these big games. Bobby, is there a a coach or multiple coaches that with some sway that gets involved with their ADs and their schools and says, get us out of this situation and into the uh, Big Ten or SEC? Two examples. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. What are you thinking if you're him right now? And the other one, even though he just got there, but he's got some pull, is Mario Cristobal now at Miami. Do you think these coaches, these big-time football coaches, are sitting idly by, or are they going to their bosses and saying, we need to be on the phone being proactive with all of this and not just sitting back? I, I do think that both of those guys are fully aware you know, right now they look like they have a pretty good shot to the playoff. If they can, you know, the ACC is going to be included. This isn't going to be a Big Ten SEC playoff. You know, they'll be inclusive with other conferences, and they probably have a pretty easy path. So is going to the SEC a better move for them right now? I don't know if they truly want to, and it'd be very punitive. I do think those are two coaches that probably have the sway to be able to get it done. But frankly, like if you look at a lot of these decisions, I don't think, gentlemen, Lincoln Riley had any idea or Chip Kelly had any idea from what I had been told that they weren't let in on this, you know, very you know, soon at all. And that's why I think you know, Lincoln Riley, when he left Oklahoma, like, I don't think he knew that they were going to be going to the SEC. So, you know, he's been duped twice now by, by his school with potentially moving. So I, I do think that those coaches have the cachet to do that. I don't know of them moving to the SEC. It's more money, but it might be a tougher path. And I guess I don't know exactly how financially punitive it could be to get out of there. Um, But I do think those are two coaches and probably two schools that should say, hey, we need to monitor this very closely because and have some irons in the fire because we don't want to we don't want to have something happen where all of a sudden North Carolina moves. And now, like the ACC is falling apart. We need to have a landing spot. So if nothing else, I would say they need to be at least reaching out. And you know, keep some of the lines warm just to make sure that you have a spot to go and be able to gauge interest in how that would potentially work. Bobby, I know you're, you are well-connected and part of a tight-knit uh, group of, of Buckeyes from your era, right? And, and, and probably this era. Um, of those group texts or DMs or messages, whatever, anybody message you yesterday and, and absolutely hate it? Or does everyone see what's where we're headed and and what's to come and they're on board well i'll say this like i hate it it's good for my conference like i'd rather be at ohio state than be an alumnus of arizona state right now like you're looking <laughs> around like what are we going to do you know i mean so you're you're in the catbird seat but like i mean guys you know for all the movement i mean nebraska in the big 10 wasn't necessarily a fan of that like i liked it when miami and Vatek were playing in the Big East, like you know, that's and maybe that's just because the era that I grew up in. I'm nostalgic for the fact that you know you had like six conferences, you had some things spread around, you know, and, and there was good teams kind of everywhere. There's a certain regionality to it. Like I like that, I, I really do. I think that that's what was great about college football. Now, am I going to be like old man shaking my fist at the sky, being angry about it? Like that's not going to change it. That doesn't mean like they have to be all gung ho. And so. Like Ben Hartsock, a teammate of mine, he does a lot of stuff on Sirius XM. Like, he's against like NIL. He doesn't like the portal. I mean, and I'm like, Ben, you can be as angry as you want. These things are here to stay. Like, there's going to be relocation of, of conferences. There's going to be conferences that disappear. And, you know, 
I can't even imagine, like, even if you're at USC, like, all of a sudden now, and I have these conversations with guys at Nebraska, and these are the conversations that guys at Texas and Oklahoma will have, like, so you were all Big 12. Like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's not the conference you're in anymore. We won, you know, five, you know, 10 Big 12 championships. What all this? Like, what does that mean? It's, it's like a defunct deal. You're no longer part of it. So, like, you lose a little bit of what you are. And so for Ohio State, it's been the same conference. Like, it's not going to change them. There's just other schools around them. But I still don't truly enjoy it. And I know a lot of my teammates say, yeah, that's great. It's glad the Big Ten's adding teams. Like, they're going to be one of the power brokers. It's really them in the SEC now. Maybe get Notre Dame in. And, like, that's good for the school. And it's ultimately good for your setting. But I don't know if this gentleman is, like, really good for the college game. I think you could have had NIL and Transfer Portal and still had, you know, like six conferences. They were pretty nice because like, you know, they're all just merging together now. Like the regionality, I understand you can fly, you can do all that, but there was just something nice and nostalgic about it. To me, that's like what makes college sports a little more special than professional. And every all of us are fans of the nostalgia of, of sports. Keep this in mind. We have, I mean, I think we could easily say this. We have two years left of Power 5 college football on the horizon. Yeah, That's it. Or co- Power 5 sports in general. It's power two in football. And two, in, two, in two years, years left based on the, the TV contracts that are in place, right? So that those could be bought out too. Who knows? Um, Bobby, always great. Uh, we will table the discussion on the player dinners and rookie dinners. Uh, I know you have a, a great story to add to that. Uh, we will do that next week. We always appreciate you making time for the show, even from your parents' house. Happy Fourth of July to you, man. Hey, man. Cheers. I'll give you guys a little like glimpse yeah. up here. Yeah, that's I mean, that's great. all my dad's stuff. I mean, he's got all... All kinds of good things that's around awesome. there. So very cool. Yeah, happy, he's got his house is way cooler than mine. Hey, happy fourth to all the carpenters yep. out there. Yeah. Enjoy. Happy fourth. Bobby hey, thanks, Carpenter there. Follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. Coming up, um, I was flipping through. I don't know if you guys got this in the mail. It was probably a mass mailer. Um, trying to get me to to order fireworks. I guess they got my address. No and mail there's order. this little magazine that tells you. And so I was flipping through it while having uh, dinner recently, and the names of these firework packages that you can purchase are right in line with what Corey or Jacob would want, you know, their band name to be called. Uh, We pick out our favorite, Fourth of July, spectacular. And I have a favorite for Chad as well that I think he would sign up for and want to purchase. Uh, We get ready for the fourth, plus plenty of guests on deck today. Outkick 360 rolls on. I opened up this firework magazine. (laughs) First one I saw was the mother load, and I just kept scrolling, kept, you know, just flipping through because it's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Um, the descriptions are awesome. Outkick 360 rolls on. Um, this is a physical magazine that you received. Yes, and I should have not, brought not this in. Nothing online. Nothing online. Um, maximum legal load. How is, much? How much for the maximum legal? I don't, load? It was, all these were like over 150 dollars. Like these full displays, oh, up, up to there were 1,200 dollar ones. Uh, there, there were plenty to choose from, but the descriptions: patriotic exotica. Uh, That's a good one. Uh, you betcha is another one. There is uh, 
Uh, memory surprise, which is, I mean, use your imagination on that, I guess. That happens to Jacob Swanson all the time, the memory surprise. Uh, there was one called uh, the, the Jamaican Explosion, which I thought Chad would love. Jamaican Explosion, good. I could make a joke about that and get the entire country <laughs> against me again. But the entire were, country of Jamaica, not the entire country of the U.S. Yeah, the U.S. would be behind me. Battling elk. Like, all of these are like, man, that's, that sounds like something that will be going off in the, in the neighborhood this weekend. Battling elk. I could see, like, antlers in the sky. Battling elk sounds like a town in North Dakota. Like an actual place. <laughs> Where are you going? We're going to go up to the lake and battling elk, North Dakota, this weekend. It's going to be great. We know that um, fireworks and idiots go together oftentimes. Yes. I, I just hope. I had a friend who's a fireman, so on a serious note, it hasn't rained in, in central Tennessee in how long? Middle Tennessee. Uh, it rained <laughs> yesterday, actually. Well, I, I mean, they're dry stuff everywhere, yeah. and they're anticipating fires uh, yeah. like crazy as a result of fireworks. So I hope people are it's smarter than Hopefully usual. we need rain bad around here. It's supposed to rain all weekend off and on. So I'm hoping that actually happens. We had this threat last week too, and it didn't happen, at least where I was. And there's gonna be, there, there will be shows all weekend because some, some were moved up to there, – there's some tonight. There are some you know, tomorrow because it's on Monday. Yeah. They want, to, they want to start it late. And then if you have it scheduled early in the weekend, you can always postpone it throughout the weekend well, if we'll, it rains. We'll probably do like the little kids' fireworks stuff that I can do with them. Yeah. I'll go out and we'll do some candles on like Sunday. Yeah. Like Sunday evening, they'll stay up late because Monday we have a big family, 4th of July, where everyone basically throws in like $250 of the family, and we have a huge spectacle out in College Grove, Tennessee, on a farm. So I've told you about my older dog, Finley, who is fireworks fear, fearful. He, he's at a point now, this is not fireworks related. You know, we have the puppy Ripley. So Ripley gets crated when we go out. Finley can't stand Ripley being crated. Finley goes upstairs and winds up in the oddest places. He was, the other day we got home, he was in Simon's hamper. Now, he's got arthritis and two ACL-repaired knees. How he got into Simon's hamper athletically is impossible. He must have found his way in there and, like, bounced it back up some way. But, like, he finds comfort in these tight spots. So if we leave during a fireworks night, I can only imagine what this guy is going to wind up doing. Gunfighters from hell is another option. Yeah, if somebody's doing that, hunting anywhere near us. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> Finley's going to be in hell. It's going to be a problem. Finley will be in hell. Larry Donald's going to give them hell tonight here at 6th and Peabody. He's part of the main event for TriStar Boxing. He joins us in studio to discuss all the athletes getting into his sport.